Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Obsessive Podcast. I'm one half of you. Wait, something's wrong. Something's off. Why am I doing this? JP? Oh, that's right. I told JP I'd replace him last week, and I did. Brendan, you here? I'm here, and I'm loud, and I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. All right, no, we really didn't replace JP. JP's just has this week off. He uh, he ran into some some technical issues this week, and um, so he couldn't be with us today. But uh, he'll be back with us next week when we uh, we unleash our. We're finally going to unleash Brendan. I hope you're excited for this because this is why we got started on this podcast. Is the Conjuring versus Insidious debate? All right, the debate to end all debates. Which one is better? Which one is the the more preferable do you have a do you have a preference when it comes to these two ah uh, see you know i love the i love them both and i think what's so interesting about that debate is the creative teams behind them are the same yeah yeah uh, right so that's i think that that two of the greatest modern horror franchises made by the same person uh, yeah yeah exactly and uh no so i'm i'm team insidious for that's my side of the aisle is uh I, I think it's like I think Conjuring might be technically the better film, mm-hmm. but I think Insidious is the more fun film, and I, I will fight anybody on that. So yeah, I'm Team Insidious. If I had to pick, I love the Conjuring one. Conjuring two is great. I hate the third one. I would have to be Team Insidious on this one. Nice. All right. All right. I like that. All right. You can stay this week. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> um, Everybody, our audience really doesn't know you or anything, Brendan. Do you want to tell people like who you are, what you're about, why you why you might be sitting in this chair today? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I joined Horror Obsessive uh, around round about a year and a half, maybe two years ago at this point. Uh, I've loved every every opportunity that I, I've gotten from being a writer for Horror Obsessive. I've gotten to go to premieres, uh, meet amazing people. Uh, but before Horror Obsessive, um, uh, I've always kind of preferred writing, even though my degree uh, is a focus in directing. I think I've always more gravitated towards writing. Um, written a few scripts. Uh, some of them have won uh, awards and have been nominated for awards in film festivals. Uh, and yeah, writing's just my, my favorite thing to do, whether I'm telling a story or reviewing a movie or uh talking about remnant too which i've been talking about a lot recently. <laughs> well that that brings up another good point uh what are you what have you been working on and what's uh what's some stuff on horror obsessive that you've uh seen and gravitated towards so uh first of all shout out to jp that man pushes out like two articles a day oh my god i know it, right it, that, it he's is, a he is. workhorse he really is he just he doesn't stop uh he's a machine um so uh, one of my latest pieces that I'm really proud about uh, was uh, for our horror icons. And it was a retrospective kind of on the films written and directed by Larry Fessenden. Uh, he is my number one idol. I recently got to go to the premiere of Brooklyn 45 and he was there, did a Q&A. Uh, I went to the after party with them. I had drinks with Larry. Uh, so I cried happy that night. Um, that's awesome uh, i i love his films i love how he captures new york whether it's upstate new york or you know the chaotic streets of manhattan uh that man just has an eye for 
for the weird, the weird side of horror that I don't think we necessarily get as much of. Yeah, I, I read part of your piece too, and um, what was it? I I really gravitated towards the uh, the, the Until Dawn stuff too because I mm-hmm. am such a huge fan of that whole franchise, which yeah. basically he started, like he wrote 100%. the Until Dawn, which is it's kind of based on like his he made that movie Wendigo in the yes. I want to say late eighties might be the early 90s it i'm was, not sure uh, um, i just wrote about this i should know uh two, 2003 actually was it really yeah, it seems yeah. so much older than that it does oh my god i i didn't realize it was that young um even though that's you know 23 years 20 20 years ago yeah oh my so, god yeah 2001 sorry 2001 okay fair enough <laughs> even still yeah. uh yeah, so um but that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a very big uh Larry Fassenden guy as well. So but uh yeah, uh what else? What have you been watching lately? Is there anything that you're thinking about writing about? Oh um so definitely can't write about it for for Hobbs, but uh just started watching the new season of Righteous Gemstones. Uh yeah. <laughs> that that's fantastic. I love that. Uh horror related. I just watched an eighties movie uh called uh, primal rage oh I, I have it in my box over there i haven't gotten to it yet should i is okay. that something it i was, should uh it was so unbelievably fun and 80s cheese and everything because the one of the guys that wrote it uh umberto lenzi was a big giallo person he did a ton of the uh italian cannibal horror movies in the 80s like eaten alive Canna- cannibal pharaoh and yeah. uh what was, um nightmare city is his too I believe. uh nightmare beach so, something nightmare like beach that. i thought it was it, nightmare city um it, i might be getting i might be getting somebody confused there you might be right it might be nightmare beach um but you know it's just like the practicals are great the story is great the dialogue is so 80s it's just everything about it is so fun i highly recommend it excellent yeah i'm gonna have to watch that one the, i um i don't know if you saw but we started a uh a trash cinema thursday um okay <laughs> so uh a couple weeks ago i wrote i think it was the first piece actually which was alien from the deep i watched this movie a okay, couple of weeks yes, ago yeah. my god 80s cheese all over it but the other thing is italian 80s cheese so not only that but it was ferociously dubbed uh it starts so it's, it's so weird it starts as like a a, a jungle action movie and then all of a sudden it like switches gears and it wants to be like a alien ripoff uh, with some like Terminator stuff fettered in and, and things like that. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like super entertaining. Uh, didn't know what it wanted to be, but uh, yeah, super entertaining. Nonetheless, I, I felt the need to write about it, put it out there because I don't think a lot of people have seen that movie and, or even heard of it. So I've never even heard of it and, and not until I scheduled it to, to post onto Twitter. That was the first, I was like, ah, this is going on my watch list right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. Um, I think it just, I think it's the first time that it's been available in the U.S. in like years, oh, okay. um, or officially, or, or something. But yeah, it, uh, super fun to to watch and uh, super fun to write about. So yeah, I was uh, I was big on that. The other thing that we started was uh, the Slasher Saturdays, which I'm yes. I'm very much into. Uh, we got Jeremy talking about Intruder this week on. Uh, underrated as well you know i've never seen it oh my god it's i i went through a phase in high school where every bruce every movie that bruce campbell was in no matter if it was five seconds like in dark man or you know the entire film like evil dead i i purchased every single thing that he was in and that was like the first real like collect 
collector's edition remastered type things that I bought from any company. Oh, was it true? Was that Blue Underground that did that? I think, uh, or is there somebody else who's got it now? I think it was Blue Underground. That that sounds right. The uh, I remember going through a similar stage, but it was around the time, like so. I definitely saw Evil Dead. I had seen Army of Darkness when I was a kid, so mm-hmm. that uh, that you know, I'd already had some of the the Bruce in my life, yeah. so. I think Bubba Hotep was on his way out and I got like a bunch of different ones and it was either somewhere around like running time or there was another one. And I was like, and that's, a, that's, that's, a weird a, that's enough. <laughs> uh, my, was it mind benders or something? Time benders, time warp. I, I don't remember. I don't remember what the name of it was, but uh, weird sci-fi uh, Bruce Campbell movie. That... Wait, hold on. I have something right next to me that I have to show you. Sorry. Sure. Since we're talking about it, this is my oh, Bubba, <laughs> my Bubba Hotep uh, collect, collector's edition. Oh, that's pretty cool. No, I just got the I just got the 4K from Shout okay. with the, the enamel pin set and and things oh. like that. Like, yeah, I did the whole I did the whole thing for that one because uh, I'm a fan. I, I don't so. I don't mean to take us too off course, but you remember when Shout used to do uh, magnets? With all yeah, I have a bunch of them. Oh, I, dude, I have I a ton of them. All of mine. I'm so oh, sad, dude, dude. I um, at some point I'll get your address and I'll. I have like two. I have like two or three of them because like they were all. I always got the same one, mm. and I'll just mail one to you. Oh, dude, that'd be amazing. Um, shout, out, shout out to the Shout Factory, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all of these uh, really niche groups yeah. of uh, distributors. <laughs> I guess we should just get into it. All right, we're here today with the cast and director of Brightwood, uh, Dana Berger, Max Fortendike, and Dane Alcar. Uh, they're going to talk about their new uh, Run Around the Lake film, or Pond, rather, Run Around the Pond film, and uh, how Stalker was the inspiration for it. So, uh, hi, everybody. Yes, thank you so hi. much for having us on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, any time. Come on. Come on back when you're ready. Um, so yeah, uh, usually what we uh, first start to do is just uh, why don't you know, Dane? You made this film, so sure, uh, I did. Or actually, no, we we don't usually talk about the film yet. So like, let's hold off on your film, but let's talk about Stalker. Why don't you give us a uh, synopsis of what Stalker is? Uh, Stalker is a 1979 film. Um, uh, directed by Andrzej Tarkovsky. It is about um, a, a stalker who uh, leads uh, people into the zone illegally. The zone is a kind of contaminated area that presumably uh, at one point some sort of alien or extraterrestrial-like entity had landed there or could still be there. It's not entirely explained. Um, and the stalker's job is to lead people into this zone and there's various things there's very various objects that they can take out or i might actually be bleeding a little bit into the book um which is called roadside picnic but um in stalker uh a professor and a writer are um led into this zone and uh uh in the in the environment itself kind of time and, uh, and, and physics kind of start to not be as clear. And there's a general sinisterness to uh, the, the kind of natural environment that they're entering into. And I think those, 
that was a huge inspiration for me. I think clearly in terms of um, in terms of Brightwood, it obviously is a very philosophical film. You know, oh, that's that's really, Annihilation. Yeah. Did you see Annihilation? It's very. Actually, is very similar. Annihilation. It's Roadside Picnic. I think was the inspiration for Annihilation too, and and the actual. Well, we don't have to get into it now, but Roadside Picnic, the book. Just the title alone, it also has a big uh, influence on, on uh, I guess, some elements of Brightwood as well. Um, but yeah, I also love the film. <laughs> Would you but- recommend people uh, who like uh, either your movie or Stalker to go and read the book? Or is, is, is Stalker a, a literal interpretation of the book? Or is it more of a... No, 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 no. Um, Stalker is a, uh, it, it almost is, a, it, the book has different characters. Uh, it, it has, uh, it's, you learn a little bit more about the mechanics of what potentially is going on, or well, not really, but you, you have a, um, uh, a, a more uh, a first person uh, view of what going into the zone is. And there's gotcha. a lot of different things that happen in the book. The uh, the movie is um, like you said, much more philosophical. The, the The people that are going in, or the people that the stalker is leading in to this zone, um, want to find out, uh, or want to be led to this room, and the room potentially can grant wishes they don't know. Um, and and there's a desire also to learn more about. Uh, their purpose in life and can, can this can this happen and as they kind of go deeper into this this area uh, these questions are brought up and that's juxtaposed with the stalker himself whose sole life is the zone so he um, he's actually quite happy with his life that is his purpose is is the zone now all of this is a complete digression away from <laughs> my film so that's okay. i didn't that's okay. i don't go so that far into it but the, but definitely the idea of entering a space a mysterious location and that people are going to our characters dan and jen will be forced to sort of see a different reality and, ha- and have a reflection uh brought back on them or at least we will witness this happening to them um uh is i think is is definitely a huge aspect of that and then also as i kind of brought up um one of the great things about stalker at least the first time you watch it is uh and i know max you've watched it so one of the great things about stalker the first time you watch it is the dread and suspense that can he he gets just by filming a field or just by a shot of a tree and wind blowing through, you know, the, the leaves and that, um, and I, and I would study that. I mean, I would kind of think of like what's going on because in, in the movie, we have no idea what's happening either in stalker. We have no idea of any actual true element that's going to like come out and attack them or what, what is happening. So really what's incredible, incredible about those moments is that it is, about the expression of the performers of the actors we're we're we become afraid of what they look at which is in general very you know mundane things or an open field or whatever but it's we feel what their fear of what they're 
they're entering into. And I think that we, we took that, or at least I took that into, um, you know, uh, certainly this film. And Max, you might be able to comment on that. of any of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, like, I, it's so funny because, we, you know, we go from uh, one extreme to another when we have guests on. And some guests are like, oh, no, I made them watch all of the films, like, mm. before they got into it. And here, here I'm looking at Dana, who's, who's like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I, have, I, was, I was like, this is all news to me. Glad I did my job the way you want. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Um, in, in, in a in a cool um, meta theatrical you know way, I think like talking about the threat of the environment, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, it's sort of commonly felt that literally where they shot Stalker Tarkovsky and a lot of his crew ended up with cancer because they were literally filming in um, you know environments that um, had chemical pollution, and so yeah. it literally yeah. the environment it was in fact a sort of threatening element. <laughs> outside of the film as a very small comparative you know while we were filming in the woods of rockway dane found himself bitten by a tick so uh (laughs) he's fine uh thank god but you know in both cases there was i got got lyme's disease what's sort of this this threat of the environment both on screen and off screen in in one of the takes dane and i were were doing our our breakup scene in this huge snake uh, slithered by us. And now both Dana and I are city kids, you know, like I grew up in Brooklyn, Dana grew up in Manhattan. We're yeah. not used to wild animals and you know, we could hear it <laughs> slithering through the leaves. And you know, Dane, I'm sure Dane's, you know, a country boy, really. Like he grew up in California. He's used to animals, you know, and he's like, just, you know, just keep the scene going. Just keep the scene going. <laughs> <laughs> I want that outtake. I want that on the DVD. I, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is true though. We were, I mean, it's obviously not like being in some Soviet era, area polluted, you know, factory. But we, it, it, in the in the environment itself, I mean, we, there was just so many bugs and so many ticks filming in Rockaway, New Jersey, that there was this kind of strange. Um, yeah, my our AD Andrew thought he was going to get you know Lyme disease every day, and it was. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I think like at a minimum, you know, the, we shot the whole film outside. So we certainly were uh, subjected to the elements and, you know, when we lucked out and, and it's a beautiful park and beautiful pond and beautiful people, great neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. But we were as the, as the people in the film, um, much like Dan and Jen to a different degree, like we we were subjected to the actual environment we are, we were in because you can't control, uh, you can't control nature. You know, you can't control what the physical wild world around you does or does not do at any given moment. About how many bottles of sunscreen would you say the three of you went through? (laughs) You know what? Sunscreen isn't, it's bug spray. spray. (laughs) We were, we had the canopy above us. That wasn't that big of a deal. The bug spray we went through, uh, was incredible. Cans and cans of this stuff. Yeah. So, um, Max, back to what you were saying, like, uh, I, I get the sort of uh, parallel that you're going for there. But I think that Stalker also has a, a weird sort of future mechanic mm-hmm. um, because it's it's shot in 19. I mean, it's uh, released in 1979. And in 1986, we get the Chernobyl, uh, yeah. Chernobyl. Right. And it's it's sort of a weird uh, temperance added to that film based on a the the thing, everything that happened with the crew and be um just the space in general like this weird zone which is what happened which mm-hmm. is happening now you know 40 sure. years removed from the incident 
Um, not really bringing up a question, I suppose, but <laughs> just sort of throwing that in as an inference. Yeah. Um, but does okay as far as your your film goes, like Dane, I told you when you said um, Stalker, when you mm-hmm. told me that you wanted to go for Stalker, I was like, oh, I get it. And yeah. it was mostly because it's that sort of uh, you can't go out the way you came in. No. Uh, you're get, and you're and go they're going to be it. changed by going going into it. Yeah. yeah. And that sort of it, it's it was weird allegorically to me mm-hmm. anyway to to sort of see, you know, the the marriage part of it. Mm-hmm. Like well, because I mean, not, you, Sorry, no, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the the sort of idea that uh, you know, you come into this thing and you you go in one way and you have to sort of rely on each other to to get it to make it out. Um, not that they, you know, <laughs> not that they're going to, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the other, no, I mean, that's okay. There's some elements that I think is fine to, to talk about, but, um, but I think that, I mean, that's the other, that's the other side of it is that it's stalker is a very serious film and yeah. it's a very slow moving film. And, uh, you know, I, I loved taking that kind of environment, but yeah, throw kind of this fuddy duddy couple on the verge of divorce into this kind of insane uh, nightmare of a, of a, of a situation that they find themselves in and just watching that play out and seeing where that, that goes and to kind of find the humor in it, you know, to find that kind of uh, humor and use the, uh, I guess that's also important to talk about is that you, the actual why of why this is all happening is secondary to the, uh, to the relationship and what it does to the relationship. And that's, you know, this is a horror film about relationships. And that was um, uh, what I wanted to go. That, that, that was the kind of driving factor and seeing what, what that does there's something interesting about like in stalker, you know, this idea that when they get to the room, their innermost um, desire will, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of manifest itself regardless of whether it's the thing that they think they want or not. Mm -hmm. And I do think that one of the things that is kind of interesting about Dan and Jen is they end up in this loop around this pond. You know, there are a couple moments in the film where um, Jen in particular will say, you know, voice a wish of hers of something that she wishes she could do to her husband. And when she says it, she sort of means it metaphorically and metaphysically. Okay, good point. And, as, and as the film progresses, she gets to live out that fantasy in a very mm-hmm. literal kind of way. And I do think that there's some, a kind of interesting parallel there that as um, Dan and Jen sort of evolve or devolve, depending on how you want to think about it, some truer version of themselves is revealed. Um, right. Right, right, exactly. I mean, that's what that's a that's a really good point, man. Because because they get uh, they kind of get what they deserve, not necessarily what they want from this environment. Yeah, from the zone that they find themselves. in. One of the things Dana and I talked a lot about it as the actors was, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, who these people are and why they're together, and what about that works. And something I just kept thinking the whole time is like, God, like I would never want to date either one of them. But I, do think, <laughs> but I do think they deserve one another. Mm. And that felt to me as an, as an actor and as someone thinking about the film, like a very, very satisfying truth that even though I was like, oh man, I like really couldn't spend my life with either one of these people. I totally believe in them as a couple in, in some funny kind of way. 
Um, hopefully, yeah, audience is great. Yeah. So if let's say uh, let's say Brightwood gets the the stalker ending, right? Um, obviously, in Stalker, where, where they end up in the room, they kind of denounce everything. It's sort of a weird right. original uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, they can't. Vibe. They can't enter it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they they're like they're like no, because I my guess is that like. Uh, especially for one of them is a professor and one of them is a writer, right? Mm. They're there to sort of debunk and like witness. They're not mm-hmm. really there to, to judge. And so like when they finally find the room and they know that, you know, one guy asked for riches, he I think it's the porcupine. It's the yeah. character yeah. that was a stalker. Um, he was, uh, he wished for riches and a week later he was dead because he was driven insane by the fact yeah. that it worked. So the idea is they can leave this place, right? And they can leave with their sanity intact. What would have happened had, um, had they gotten to the room? I mean, well, I, I think in Brightwood, I don't, I don't think there really is a, a, a room per se. Um, well, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but, but I think, um, I mean, I think that what would have ha- what what happened is essentially they the, is what happens in the movie. You know, that is the yeah. room that they they made yeah, the it whole that the whole zone before. kind of. There might be other game. people, other versions of them that have gotten out. Uh, maybe there's versions that never went in, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think that what's in the film is that is that kind of conclusion. I, I will so, say that for the for the character of Dan, who starts the film like really wanting to repair the marriage, even though he's not really up to the task in the beginning of the film, you know, I think for him at any rate, by the end of the film, uh, he, he in a way he gets exactly what he wants, which is he like finds a way to maintain a relationship with some version of the woman that he loved once upon a time, and it's in a much different form than either of them would have ever imagined going in. Um, you know, but I, I think in a funny way, like Dan gets his wish. Uh, Max, kind of a, going back to what you said a few minutes ago, how about how uh, you wouldn't want to want to date either of these two people? Uh, my first note for the film was, I hope they both die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to not to give too much away, but hopefully you were satisfied with the result. Wait, <laughs> at what point in the film did you write that down? Uh. Like early or it was uh, (laughs) during uh, during the selfies. Oh, okay, yeah, awesome. You know, Dane Dane talked about this a lot. He was like, you know, about creating these characters that are like super basic. Yes, you know, like kind of dense, basic people who are also so self-involved that they sort of miss. You know, they're stuck in this bizarre situation, and all they can think about is themselves. Which was mm-hmm. really fun to play. Mm-hmm. Well, you, this came out of your um, your short film too, which I think was it just Pond. Was it was the right? Pond, yeah. And uh, yeah, that I had watched. I had actually watched. I mean, the timeline is uh, timeline is. Let me let me think. But I had watched Stalker for the first time only a few years before I came up with that idea of the original of the original short, which was just actually me kind of I think ex- experimenting with the plot of. Um, you know, getting trapped in this kind of going around in circles around a pond. And, and, um, but, uh, I, I knew that I always, I, I always kind of wanted it to be a couple and that it would be a really fascinating way to kind of, uh, dissect the, the cycles in a relationship and the kind of going in and out of toxicity and, 
And, well, that's um, why I bring it up is is because mm-hmm. you have a little bit more of expo- like I feel like there's not that there's not a lot of exposition in Brightwood, but I feel like yeah. there's just this little bit more in your short. That's like I think it's like the kids and there's like uh, mm. you're just like going out. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and then you just like take off on a run and then you can't get back. Oh, did you watch um, this part? Yeah. Oh, of course yeah. I did. Yes. Okay, come on. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, you did. Right. With the wonderful article. Yeah. Okay. Yes. For the record, this short will be, I believe, included on the DVD. So, you know, yeah, if you want to see it, thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but yeah, no, I I, um, I get a kick out of it because it, it, the the transference, I, I get the idea of wanting to sort of escape that situation with like the, the wife and the kids and blah, you know, like mm-hmm. not that I'm married or anything. And that's, that's probably why. Um, <laughs> the, but anyway, I, I sort of understand that situation. And then in this situation, yeah, it, like I get that sort of self-absorbed thing. Like I mm-hmm. believe um, Dan is sort of trying to sideways cheat on his wife. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, Jen is just sort of, uh, to be honest with you, I was just with Jen. I think I was, <laughs> oh. I kind of agreed with Jen a little bit, oh, like, good. just like, yeah, okay. no, that's yeah. what I'm saying is like, yeah. um, I was like, yeah, that's son of a bitch. Um, so yeah, the, it's a, it's a, it's a fun energy. Like you guys bring such a good energy to this film too. Um, thank you. I, it, I, I think, yeah, to going along with what you're saying, you know, I mean, it's, that's, um, it's funny if I were to look back, that's just, I guess, part of the, I guess, creative process. You know, I had, I had myself, I had my, my young daughter I was taking care of at the time. And so it's like, sure, I have this idea. Why not put that into the, into the short, um, with the feature? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there clearly was, um, times during the pandemic where we were all kind of stuck inside. We had a young daughter and, um, uh, I mean, my wife and I, we, uh, didn't make it to a point where we wanted to kill each other, but certainly there were, there were moments we probably <laughs> felt that, but to take that, to take those, those, those elements and feelings and then put them into the story, but kind of turn it up to an 11 and just kind of have, have fun with it and, and see what happens with these characters, uh, in, in that environment. And certainly, um, yeah, I've, I've, I can be a little selfish at times and self-oriented. So, I think also like you know, in the way that I think the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic tested all of us in so many ways, but um, I think that something maybe most people on the planet had never been confronted with in this lifetime was like suddenly there's just no distractions, like you know, you, if you are living with someone or whatever, like you are confronted with what is there. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can see that in this movie that you have these couples and we see this in life, people that are maybe not necessarily happy, but are willing to distract them. The world is so distracting in different ways. You can put your attention here and just not confront it and not confront what's actually happening. And suddenly we have these two characters who are placed in an environment where there is nothing to confront but each other and what the relationship is. Um, I think that that's just really interesting. And also I can see how maybe not, maybe this wasn't on purpose, but I can see how it can, can come out of a pandemic situation because it's, it's the same concept, but just instead of inside it's outside. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. Um, 
especially where, you know, if you think about it, pandemic wise, everybody was going for walks. That was like a thing. Yeah. Um, But I think you also have to, um, you can also say that if you weren't working on something sort of internally or externally or, or trying to put your mind into a distraction, let's say, uh, you could definitely have that, you know, um, confront confrontational attitude towards your um, significant other. So it makes sense. I think divorce rate after the pandemic went uh, straight up. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, I can see this definitely is sort of a capsule uh, pandemic film as well. You know, in Stalker, it's about like the confrontation of self in a funny way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Brightwood is about the confrontation of your significant other your partner and and what that reflects about who you are as as an individual in pairing with another person so i think that's just another little parallel that exists too you know if i may dane said something earlier that i I think is great you know he talked about like taking it to 11 and you know i always remember there's a point in the scene in which uh dan and jen um commit i think it's okay but commit a murder of someone uh they have to they, they have to kill someone and they do it and Dana and I, in the acting of it, felt like we were being so crazy and like we had turned it all the way up to 11. And I remember both of us saying to like, you know, like, is this, is this any good? Like this, he feels kind of psychotic, like what we're doing. And we went to Dane and we said like, I think this feels like too much, man. Like it's too crazy. It's too big. And it was one of the best pieces of directing I've ever gotten. He said, you know, he reiterated all the literal circumstances, given circumstances of the scene. And he said, you know, I'm not interested in seeing how these characters act at a five in these circumstances these circumstances are out of control and so it should feel as large as it needs to be and it was and it was a great freeing moment i think for us as performers to feel like all right fuck it like let's turn it like you know like <laughs> let's be like spinal tap you know let's mm-hmm. turn it up to 11 mm-hmm. and uh and go yeah there's sort of a um like like you were saying like obviously a pandemic outside right to the woods there's almost a feral feeling as you approach the ending of this, there's mm-hmm. it very much you've gotten to, you've been an, animalistic with each other and at each other's throats, very much the entire, like a good portion of the film. And then when you get to the end of the film, you've just gone completely feral, but now you're together yeah. <laughs> being feral together. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so feral together. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's so many movie, so many questions about stalker that I have. So this was, uh yeah. dana i also believe this was your first time watching it oh i don't know if dana's ever seen stalker yeah i haven't seen this movie that i've never heard of this yeah. dana didn't do her homework no nobody <laughs> told about this i like I, this this is all news to me i might as well be like a listener of your podcast right no uh, but the, there's i, I don't want to uh, devolve the conversation too much but there's so many questions about stalker that i have one i'm not smart enough to understand what stalker means I enjoyed it. I gave it a five out of five on Letterboxd. I'm never going to watch it again. Um, <laughs> but there, it there's, definitely there's, seems like a, you're really selling this at a five out of yeah, five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for any listeners out there, I should point out that Brightwood is about 35% long as Stalker is long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a much more 
a much more easily consumable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's what 80, 80 minutes, eighty four minutes, minutes, minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. four minutes on the bat. Um, um, I, I, yeah, I I also did give Brightwood a four point five and a heart on Letterboxd. So oh, well, thank you. you. Yeah. you know, I, I, are you familiar with any of Andrei Tarkovsky movies? Because this was I don't one. necessarily know that you're meant to really fully understand any of them. <laughs> Yeah, I, the first one I ever saw was The Sacrifice, and that still sure. sits with me as going, what the hell happened? It's beautiful, but I'm yeah, yeah. not Art. 100% on what happens in that movie. It's a, it's a very, I mean, if you want to talk about kind of like poetic filmmaking, mm. it, 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 that, that's really what it's meant to, meant to be. You interpret these images and the language and the philosophy, and um, and you're going to take away whatever it is you're going to take away from from I think a lot of his films, um, that's how I, I would in, in, talk about them anyway. Um, however, I do think that um, Stalker does present uh, kind of like what we've been talking about, kind of that um, that journey into reflection of self. And I don't know if there was there was you were never going to have an answer to like what would have happened in the room or what would have what really is yeah. behind any of these these things. And that's true for the book too. And, and, and I had brought this up kind of earlier that the book is called Roadside Picnic, which I think is kind of a strange title for the sci-fi story that you're presented with. But it's called that um, for an interesting reason because they have no idea what is actually um, causing this thing, this extraterrestrial thing that's been going on. And one of the theories is that some alien beings simply just stopped by earth on the way to another planet and dumped their trash and had a little picnic and then went on to wherever they were going. And that fundamentally changed uh, the, the human race and how we interpret the universe and ourselves. And, and I, and I, and I find that incredibly funny. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I put some of that, into uh into brightwood i would say almost dane like you know that idea of the sort of discarded trash uh, yeah. you know was actually at an earlier draft of the script was like i think even more front and center you know was this idea of sort of as we discard parts of in this case dan and jen's selves um sort of leaves like a you know an icky trail of of refuse behind and then i think probably what you know what ended up happening is the film focused more on the relationship rather than this idea but I, that it feels like that feels like such an idea that was really present in in some of those oh you're right i am I, you're absolutely right like the first versions of the script were even more like stalker because i had trash all over there was like the remnants of people that had been in there or them yeah like the pond was full of yeah, you know, which is very much in soccer you know it's all yeah. about you know oh, yeah, like with when like, he's panning with like, and you see all yes. the glasses and the money and all this stuff that represents in fact dude glad there was a whole part where dan had yes, sunglasses right. and he lost oh. the glasses and they appeared that's yeah. actually a very direct parallel that it didn't end up making it into the film but you but know, it is in the pond yes yes that's, that's actually right. in the show that's right with his glasses so wow okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> Was there um, a specific reason for the the feature you you chose to remove those things, or was it more of a there were other things that you wanted to focus on to tell the story? I uh, I I like to write a lot, and I enjoy writing. I really enjoyed writing the script, and I think that um, the drive to to see a movie made was incredibly important and um, and strong. And I knew that I wanted to bring 
uh, Max and Dana in early, I think it was like the third, second or third draft where we started having read throughs and we would meet on zoom. And that was a really, really important part of, of the writing process because just hearing the lines and then being able to go and rewrite and having these very in-depth conversations about what is the, you know, the, um, purpose of the scene and what is really needed to tell the story and to kind of distill it down. Um, so inevitably some of these, these elements, uh, just didn't, didn't make it in as we went along. Cause ultimately it really, it really is about the relationship to me. So more than the sunglasses, though I did like the sunglasses. <laughs> no, it, I think you did a fine job on Brightwood. Um, I think it's uh, really tight. You know, mm, I, it's you. like you said, it's easily consumable mm -hmm. uh, versus Stalker, especially. But at the same time, like I see Brightwood as a, a film that you can watch over again and take away other things from. Like mm -hmm. we were just talking about the pandemic elements. Like I really... Sure. I can see them for sure. It's I didn't take that away from it the first time I saw it. No. Um, but next time I watch it, I'll probably look for that more, you know? Or like the moment when I call Dan Buzzy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of that? I don't. <laughs> he didn't think about it at all, Dana. <laughs> I didn't. I'm going to tell this story. So... <laughs> So there, if, for those who are going to watch the film and, for, and who have already, there's a lot of buzzing and sounds in the film and it's in the sound design. And I... Oh, wait, but it's also in the... When we got no, no, the... no, that's what I mean. Okay. Anyway, so I, as, when I write, inevitably I write in some of my sound design. So it's like... And it seemed there was a lot of... Enough so that Dana, for some reason started calling Max or the character Dan started calling Dan Dan's nickname became Buzzy. And that's <laughs> and that's the only reason that that happened. And it was in the film twice and I got rid of one, so it's only in the film once. I, so I now you know the story of Buzzy. I just you know every, like at the end of every scene it, in the script it would be like buzz buzz buzz. <laughs> or like buzz, buzz. <laughs> and 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 I, I I was very committed to like what could we do to make to just make it really feel like these people had been together forever. And I was like, he needs a nickname that makes no sense. Cause I think that like, that's what happens with the long-term couples. There's like these nicknames and you can't even explain why you call them that. Not that any of this communicated, but like, I just want you to know, like as an actor, I really, really wanted to be able to call him buzzy randomly at different times. And I think both Dane and Max were like, please don't. <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't believe you didn't pick all of that up from the one occurrence of it. In the from film. the one occurrence. That I, was, I don't even, I was like, when does that happen? Like, was I supposed to realize that? Um, no, uh, I, to be honest with you, like, I don't even think that that would have even registered only because the other, the so, other part of that is that yeah. you're both so waspy with each other in the first half of the film that if it's somewhere in there, it could literally just be an uh, insult, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. No, no, the point was it was later in the film when she's softening back up to him, so she calls him his nickname, because I agree Buzzy. she would never have called him Buzzy in the beginning of the film. Oh, no. <laughs> so this is a very important, now you've witnessed the, our process in filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what I will say is D- Dana and I met doing a play a bunch of years ago. And so Dana and I, and in that play, we also played a, um, arguing couple, argue, a, tum- a tumultuous couple. And so we have a, a long history of doing that together. And, uh, when Dana and I were talking about the script and, you know, we were thinking about who Jen was, Dana was the first person who came to mind. And, you know, when you're out in the woods, you're filming in the woods this way, like what you need more than anything else are like people you can trust and people who like have your back. Cause there's a lot of moving pieces and we were working on a very tight schedule and a very tight budget with a very tight crew. And, you know, we needed things to really move and, you know, being able to be out there with Dana and with Dane, you know, gave us, I think there was like a real, uh, and the way we had worked on the script together, as Dane said, you know, like he was doing rewrites uh, for us for months and really to find the voice of these characters. So when we got out there, I think we felt like we had this great, you know, just communication and team together. And what it let us do, which I do think bleeds through in the film is have a great fucking time. Oh yeah. And, you know, it gave us the freedom to be able to, to play a little bit, you know, Dane and I originally had scheduled the movie literally down to the lens change, you know? Um, so we would have like this shot, this shot three minutes for a, a change from a 35 to a 75 millimeter or whatever. And, when we got out there, obviously Dana is also the camera operator and DP on the film. So he's holding the film, the camera the entire time, you know, and it, we created, I think this environment that really allowed us to, um, to be playful while still really holding to the story that Dane wrote and the one that he wanted to direct. Um, and it was a very cool collaborative symbi- symbiotic process. Yeah. It was yeah. a great, great um, example of uh, planning so much that it actually gave us more freedom on set. Cause a lot of the times, and we were able to do some reshooting and everything. So a lot, of, a lot of the times that is not the case on on films. You are you are in a rush to go forward. And by having this document that I could reference, started to realize, oh, we could do more takes. We can see where this goes. And that was really, um, really great. Well, and because we took the time up front, you know, it meant that like we weren't burning a lot of time just figuring out what the hell was going on. We already had ideas. So we could go in and sort of hit those ideas and then say like, all right, we got time for another one or another two. And, you know, it allowed a certain kind of freedom. So I think, you know, part of hopefully what you experience with Dan and Jen is a genuine sensation that these people have known each other for a long time. Even if they don't, even if they're not getting along now, that underneath all of that, there there was, is a history. And that once upon a time, they really loved each other. And uh, Dana was just, for me, was the perfect person to have to, have to play across with that way. And, um, you know, I love to hate her and I hate, you know, and I hate to love her. <laughs> and I love to love her. <laughs> she's gonna call you buzzy that's your nickname from yeah, now on max yeah, it's yeah, I know. always gonna be muzzy um but no when i when i met y'all at um salem horror fest i yeah. i got that from from all three of you immediately i was like these guys work together they're all pretty tight they like you guys were like the fun group at, for, for me at Salem Morfest, <laughs> uh, you guys and the Saint Drogo guys, the Saint Drogo guys are awesome too. Um, so yeah, I, it was just okay. it was awesome just to hang out with y'all. So yeah, it was, it was Salem good. was so much fun so and fun. it was really fun. You know, um, and and just like a great great in, environment, like great people. Um, that was Dana's first time getting to see the film in its finished form, and I can tell you, I mean, Dane's watched it bajillions of times. I've watched it hundreds. That's of my times. time. That's my time loop. Yeah. Is that I can never stop watching this fucking film. That's the real fucking time loop. Wait, 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 wait. Can we can we can we tell like a little um, guilty, embarrassing secret? Yes. So we were watching the film in Salem, and Dane and I have watched this film oh, God, so many times. God. It's been at festivals. 
lots of people, hundreds of people have seen the movie at this point. And we get back to the hotel and Dana says like, oh, you know, that this. why did you have that typo in the opening credits? No, that's not what I said. I said, hey guys, I'm going to say something and I don't want you to get upset. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible way to preamble anything. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to break the news to them slowly, like about what I was about to say. Like <laughs> well, right so, so she says this and she says, you know, it says upon pick trace Pictures felt wrong. And I say oh. and like in the in the opening credits it said pond picutures instead of pond picture. And I, I that was like the first thing that I saw on a huge screen in the theater, and I was like, that's is that on purpose? Or she was like, oh, that looks like an inside joke like Buzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, so I say to her, I say, Danny, you're out of your mind. There's no way. I, I, was, how sure are you that pictures is misspelled? And I was like, 99.9% sure. I mean, I thought, she was, I thought she was full of it. And we looked it up. No, I didn't, I didn't believe her. You have to understand, like, you know, Dane spell checked everything on the film. I spell checked everything on the film. We had a lot of people do these things. It's just another one of those funny examples of like, you know, in a time loop, when you're constantly looking at something, you can become blind to certain things, you know? Um, So to, to, you know, philosophically bringing it back around to the movie. Oh, nice. It's like, you know, Dan and Jen in the beginning of the film have become blind to what they used to love about one another. And um, by the end of the film, they correct the typo and make sure (laughs) sure the version that goes out into the world is correct. Well, well said, Max. Yes. And it was my, my silly typo. So (laughs) it was was all our typos, Dane. Yeah. (laughs) At this point. Yeah. It's a collective typo. Yeah. It's nice. Or, or this film takes place in the alternate universe so maybe in this world that's what the that's what the uh, company's called that's so, absolutely right and i can i consider that <laughs> but yeah no that ultimately i did correct it and that that's a whole process in and of itself so the, the only reason i brought that up though is because that was the last time dane had to rewatch the whole movie yet again no and then i had to rewatch it like two more times <laughs> i will just keep watching it so yeah. It's not never ending. We need to get the film yeah. out on August 22nd yeah. so Dane yeah. can stop watching the movie. <laughs> Please. It is. I think that's hilarious. Uh, especially like considering not only you're just stuck in a time loop. That's it. <laughs> no, like, no. You, made, you made the pond. You yeah. made the Brightwood. You're just, yeah. you're never going to. I can't get out of it. No, I can't get out of it. No, no. The, the next one we're doing is called Brightwoods. <laughs> brighter brighter woods maybe brighter woods yeah yeah you know uh i when i was watching this i was thinking um that that brightwood it would actually make uh i feel like it would be a little difficult to pull off but it would make a very interesting like off broadway stage play type thing with like uh throw some uh max dana oh let's do it <laughs> we're going to broadway <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about that a little more. You know, I mean, the play yeah. that we did was an off Broadway play. I mean, we're that's a lot of the work that both Dane and I have done is mm-hmm. here in New York City on you know stage work. So wait, I'm I'm curious. Like, um, will you spin that out for us? Yeah. So I mean, 
uh, when I was thinking about it, I was kind of thinking like uh, when I saw Rocky on Broadway and, you know, specifically like the scene where it's the, the, the training montage where there's like 20 different Rockies running across stage doing different things. Um, so I, I just feel like it, the, the story of, of Brightwood is it's very grounded and it's very intriguing, but it is while all this wild stuff is going on, it is just a character study of, of these two people and their relationship. And that would make for a very exhilarating hour and a half long stay. And there's, there's like so little horror off Broadway or on Broadway shows. Like you got Beetlejuice and I, that new empty house or whatever it's called. Gray house. Um, I just did see something last night that I think qualifies called uh, wet brain up at playwrights, which oh. is a kind of amazing little horror tinged um, play for just completely on the right side, down. you know, from everything, but wet brain, it's, it's really worth checking out. Um, well, you know, it's play- funny that you bring that up because I'm a better stage actress than I am. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I- I would love to do it just so that I can see Max and Dana just run back and forth on the stage. Yeah, but Dana, <laughs> Dana if we do it, we're going to replace you with Evo Van Hove. I'm sorry. What? Oh, oh. Yeah. Evo Van Hove is going to direct the stage version. I'm sorry, bud. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That's fine. As long as I get to watch you run back and forth, that's all. That's fine. <laughs> I want it to be like a Lars von Trier, like Dogville. Like version, Dogville. Everything's yeah. black and there's just one yeah, yeah. tree and yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just yeah, this the, little. The waiting for Godot version. Right? Yeah, the yeah. Waiting. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for Brightwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are definitely, you know, that's, I mean, that's a funny comparison, you know, waiting for Godot and, you know, the Didi and Gogo of Dan and Jen, you know, that. Mm-hmm. The sort of reappearance of like the headphones being, you know, the reappearance of the turnips or, you know, the, the mm-hmm. whatever, the sweatshirt being the hat, you know, we could do a whole other podcast on yeah. how it was really waiting waiting for yeah. that it was the film. You know, it's funny. The, I will just say the film that Dane talked to me the most about while we were making this film was actually Weekend. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that, OK, you know, and so, you know, I, which at first, similarly to what Dane said about soccer, like I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't. I don't get it. Oh, no. I did. By the way, Dana, I did make a list. There was a little list of <laughs> movies you could watch if you wanted to watch them. So they were there. When um, was like the summer vacation reading yeah. <laughs> no, no. in the last week of school? Like these ones, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what uh, you're talking about. I never got that, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I love Weekend. I think I think the, the, first, the first 45 minutes of Weekend is just this amazing satire uh, of... of the bourgeoisie of this relationship going out into the country, you know, on this, on this trip. And um, I don't know if I took many elements out of that, but the, I remember watching that a number of times before we went into this, because I, there, you know, it, to me, it does, it does border on satire a bit here and there. You're satirizing a relationship. You're satirizing what's, definitely. what's going no, on. I, and, I would say that there's, and there's definitely a small sort of comical moments in there mm-hmm. too, that, that the two characters share. Yeah. So yeah, I could definitely see where weekend comes into play. All right. Yeah. But getting back to stalker. Yeah. Stalker. Stalker, stalker yes. podcast. This is a stalker podcast. <laughs> Dana's sitting there going, I got nothing. <laughs> she's like, she's like can, can you tell me what the movie's about again? Wait a second. No, no, no. What? We can cut this. But like when you say this is the Stalker podcast, what does that mean? It means so that it's going to be, yeah, Stalker. To be about Stalker with the little little hints of, hints of people to see your movie rather than yeah. being a full on 
right with explanation piece. Oh, it's I mean, if not, I just but I think we've done I think we've done pretty good. Fine, I'm not. I'm not here to give you notes. We're like cats if you're not careful. Yeah, I know. We'll just keep going. You know. Well, that's it. Is I'm the wrangler, right? Like, let's get this train back on course. You know, like that's. Yeah. What other questions yeah. did you have about uh, a, a stalker? I, yes. I got, like so basically, um, I I find stalker, especially at the beginning, to be a sort of weird Wizard of Oz intro piece mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with the sepia explanation, you know, and then sure, yeah. it goes into the wonderful Wizard of Oz, right? When he mm-hmm. this is his purpose, this is his calling. He winds yeah. up in the the technical the land of Oz, version yeah. of aliens and and things that are possible. Um. For going back to Brightwood, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of the opposite of that. <laughs> sort of like this is how limited you are. You have you guys are forced to be together now, and then you can sort of make something out of it. Um, sure, lot, yeah. Like, and I, you know, it's funny. Even though I, I mean, the wizard, the Wizard of, of Oz is and that tale and everything like that is kind of this profound uh, movie that's been around for such a long time. And it does elements of obviously show up through, in cinema throughout cinema. Um, I don't think we were thinking of anything like that. However, they're really in in one of the DVD extras. Uh, the one there is a t- time when Max is singing a a song uh, in the woods. And what are you singing, Max? I'm singing Lollipop Kill, but don't tell them because we don't have the rights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I the rights to that. It's been a while. I, you know what? I, I don't want to find out. <laughs> if, if you just say it's for educational purposes. Yeah. If it's from what, what, what year was Wizard of Oz? Like, like the 30s God, 32 or, or yeah, I can't know. I feel okay. like it's oddly later than that. 1939. Oh. Booyah. I was oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. On the dot. Yeah. Gotta give now who knows copyright law well enough to know what that means. Not yes. hundred years. <laughs> so you, you have, 16, 16 yeah, years left? So, so like, yeah, so good. We'll, we'll just keep it a secret until then. I think, Dane, I, w- I would love to, you know, thinking about Stalker and thinking about sort of uh-huh. the, the, the soundscape of Stalker, thinking about the sound of the world and like, you know, the way sound and, and both diegetic and non-diegetic music works in that, in that film. Sorry, you know, what is diegetic? So diegetic is sound like that either comes from a, a place that you notice, like um, a radio, for instance, or non is just like the atmosphere of the world. Oh. So, you know, um, it's really whether you can see the source of the sound or not. And I think like Stalker very purposely and sort of, um, you know, somewhat famously blends those blends those things, you know, where you can't tell what is the sound of the environment uh, always and what is the sound of sort of the the mechanical process of the filmmaking and you know i think like in brightwood you know dane and uh the sound team did a really remarkable job layering in so much sound you know when you hear it in 5.1 it's a it's a really expansive and um, exciting experience and um you know i think one of the things that the sound of the brightwood asks is this question of when are we inside the characters heads when are what we hearing is really out in the world when are we layered in a kind of psychological, um, you know, a tone that is to give an audience a feeling. Um, and th- that, those things to me seem quite like a parallel between the two films as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the sound design was, um, 
Uh, you know, the one thing I noticed, uh, the, what's so great about uh, Elements of Stalker 2 is just the use of wind and the use of natural sounds. And a lot of the sounds that you hear in Brightwood are actually just wind sounds, but I've reversed them or oh. I've done some things to kind of change the sounds, um, tonally switch them a little bit and to just kind of build up that environment. And that that the soundscape just kind of uh, came about I guess organically, I was just experimenting to see what was there. Um, but uh, uh, I do think that um, I do like to go into the woods and I do like to, uh, that one particular time I went into the woods and I did an overnight by myself and I was in California. <clears throat> um, that night, there happened to be this incredible uh, windstorm. And in California, you have to be very careful with fire. So you have to put out the fire. And I remember just sitting in my hammock and it was pitch black and you could just hear the forest come alive, the trees growling and everything changing and creaking. And it, you know, I would, I mean, I, you, even though I would feel very comfortable in the woods, I, you just inevitably become so afraid. What is out? Like what is out in this darkness? What is there? Now, mind you, our film was very not dark, but those sounds have always those sounds of nature have always resonated with me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and just the idea that, that, that there is kind of this unknown um, presence that can sometimes seem to be in, in the forest, in the woods um, in general. Well, and, and, and in, in Wrightwood, in the film, you know, there's sort of an, an unexplained um, alien phenomenon that is like you know it's not fully explained why or how but it's sort of the thing that's causing this ripple in space time and one of the things that i think is so exciting about the the soundscape as it exists is this sort of melding between very natural sounds and sort of sounds that seem um somehow manipulated in some kind of way and so there's this there's this question i think where you, you ask like is that the sound of wind going through the leaves or is that some sort of um you know, synthetic sound and sure. how those things meet and meld and the sort of blending of those two worlds as, you know, these two people sort of clumsily stumble their way through it. Um, you know, I think creates like a very complete aural experience. Um, you know, the, the film is um, obviously it's mainly two people running around. And I think what's cool about the sound is it, it, I, I think, I hope, especially if you ever have a chance to see it in the theater in 5.1, you know, you really feel like dropped into the world with them, um, you know, and so you are sort of like along for the journey. I guess similarly, you know, like to Stalker, you know, as an audience, in a way, you're a third party that's joining them on this journey to to the zone. You know, that's sort of your position as an audience member. It's like you are along for the ride to go to the room, just like every, just like this writer and, and um, this professor are as well. And so, you know, hopefully on some, some, some subconscious level, you know, you don't want an audience sitting there thinking like philosophically, you want them having a great time, you know, and like feeling scared and feeling happy and feeling excited and feeling, you know, all those, all those good <laughs> feelings, um, what's going to happen. But, you know, just somewhere in the back of their minds feel like, Oh, cool. I really got dropped into this universe with these two people. And am part of that, you know, I'm experiencing that in some fashion. Um, and I think the sound plays a big part of that. I think the sound plays a big part of that in, in Stalker as well. Can can I just, uh, I, I have two two quick things. So one it, on sound design for Stalker, um, 
the one of the final scenes where the chemist, uh, the the professor, the writer, and the stalker mm. are sitting there after they decide not to to blow up the room or whatever they were gonna do with that thing. Um, and there's just that that it just starts raining inside in the rain mm-hmm. echoes through the hall. That is my white noise. I want to fall asleep to that sound every night. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, but bringing it back to, to your film, yeah. uh, there were a few times where I noticed sounds where they sounded familiar, almost familiar with you saying, you know, like reversing the winds or speeding up mm-hmm. and slowing things down. The way that I was interpreting that while viewing the film wasn't for I'm going to it's not the right word but it kind of felt like they were going through i guess temporal shifts or something mm-hmm. uh that was kind of so yes the woods do end and there is an exit but there's this this force or this force field that's that's characterized by these familiar yet something is off sounds that that you had in the sound design i mean i i can only uh the way i always kind of I have to be careful how I respond to this because in 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 the initial writing of the script, you do kind of see a little bit more of the mechanics of how it was, uh, mm-hmm. of how it is, and at least what this whole situation of them is. And obviously, this is not grounded in any sort of physics, but I kind of thought it it, it was kind of like multiple figure eights, uh, where the pond is kind of its own um, part of that top of the figure eight and then there's another pond here and another pond here and they're kind of crisscrossing and so you're hearing whispers and tones from multiple ponds that are kind of waving in and out of each other and there is um these points which you can kind of go in out of these these areas um like i said none of that a lot of that just was more um it allowed me to to kind of uh, see where this couple would go into how that would kind of work. Um, but that's kind of how I interpreted the the sound noises. So you're hearing a lot of times you're actually hearing whispers, sometimes whispers of them, but I've turned it around or reversed it and, or, or done something sonically to it to kind of make it different. As an observer, when I watch film, I always think of it as like the bending of space time and, you know, that sound in one space time, it bends like everything else. And so you, what you're hearing is, you know, and, and this is literally, Dana, I've never talked about this. This is just my experience when I watch the film is like you're literally hearing the sound bend as well in space time, you know, that it sort of gets lost and caught in the wind, carried somewhere else. It's sort of metaphysical. I need to go back and rewatch that. <laughs> <laughs> Dane, have you ever seen uh, Isaac Esben's The Incident? I've heard a lot about it, but I have not seen it yet. Yeah, where it's, it's apparently like a staircase with the yeah, stuff Well, that's on. part yeah. of it. That's part okay, of it. Okay, yeah. Um, there's another part of it where the, uh, it just becomes a loop. They're on a road. Oh, yeah. It just becomes a loop. The only thing there is like a gas station. And oh, I yeah. really feel like like when I watched your film, like I could sort of compare it to that. The The whole arc and, and things are much, much different. But um, – I really feel like that's a movie that you would very much enjoy having seen. Oh yeah. I, 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 you are, you are not the first person to bring that one up, but I, I, you know, I think there's something fascinating about the, you know, that kind of loop or time loop or however you want to do it, just uh, over time warp, just, you know, it is, it is fun. Um, I do think that it allows for, for humor. There's a lot of places that kind of allow for a lot of humor, but it really does let you in a kind of really interesting way to dissect 
are, you know, the, the relationships and the people that are going through this, because obviously none of us have been stuck in a time loop, but we are in our own way stuck in time and we can't get out of it. And so we relate very strongly to what they're going through, even having never gone through what they're going through, because we have this fundamental understanding of that we're going, we're going this way and we can't get out of it, you know? Not to leave it on a downer. I <laughs> <laughs> think that for the first time, you know, like Dan and Jen, even though they're stuck in this time loop, you know, we start with one pair and we, you know, we do see the couple age, literally, you know I mean? So like, even though they're stuck in this time warp, interestingly, Dan, like everyone is still moving in one direction, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I just never thought about that. Like all the yeah, characters oh, yeah. are still stuck in the stream of time. No, no one's getting only- younger. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just moving towards death, <laughs> you know, no matter what. Um, Doomed to run around the pond forever, yeah, forever. with each other. Who, what, yeah. what circle of True Dante's love. hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to Antonora. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. You would, you would think you would think that after running around the pond so many times, you know, uh, but the final Dan would be like extremely spent. <laughs> You know, in great shape, like you know, well, really hard body. Yeah. You know, we didn't quite get there. <laughs> That's the next uh, one. <laughs> six pack, six pack, Dan. Uh, Brendan told me right before we got on that uh, he's very familiar with that pond. By the way. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, spent a good amount of time in Montclair, and that's like five, ten miles away. Egbert Lake. Yeah. Up in Rockaway. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You recognized everything. So you knew the whole area, huh? Uh, it's more I was I familiar with it. You were okay. like that tree. Yeah. Oh, I know yeah. that. I so that. It looks familiar. You yeah. Know, that kind of what thing. has been funny is a lot of people who have seen the film and for wherever they're oh, from. Oh, this is true. Some, yeah. you know, like from really wherever they're from, have a lot of people that said like, oh, it, you know, it really reminded me of this pond that I used to run around. Uh, some guy thought it was like, you know, a, a pond in upstate New York. Someone thought it was uh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so I there is one like in Michigan or something. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there is there is this kind of cool like you something universal just about. Is it, we found the universal pond. <laughs> so, very basic couple universal pond. Hey, it works for it works yeah. for this uh, sort of mystical <laughs> film. So it's yeah. uh, I think you did all right. All right. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna end it here, guys. We've uh, been talking for an hour. So. Huh? Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. First of all, thank you so much. Brendan, thank you. Yeah, thank you both. Yeah. This is really fun. And everybody, uh, Brightwood is coming to VOD in August. So uh, August 22nd, look out for that. It is available for pre-order if you do want a DVD from uh, Kino Lorber currently. Oh, shit. You got it. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're really We not know that yet? (laughs) (laughs) We're released through Cinephobia Releasing. Uh, okay. That's that's the company who's releasing us, but the DVD is available for pre-order through the Kino Lover website. There's a connection there. That's badass. <laughs> Good job. <Damn>. Well, awesome. <laughs> Th- thank you so thank you so much for uh, talking uh, Stalker slash Brightwood with, with Stalkerwood. Brightwood by Stalker. Yeah. Yeah. Bright Stalker. <laughs> Bright, I but... contribute so much to the Stalker. <laughs> you gave us Buzzy. That was more than enough. That's I'm all you need. <laughs> yes. It was truly more than enough. <laughs> Not how I meant it. <laughs> I don't want to get stuck on a lake somewhere. Guys. <laughs> All right. Um, 
All right. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much.